Today is one of two Sundays that are actually set aside to be used as a special day to recognize the sanctity of human life. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But I, I first want to just talk about what is meant by sanctity of human life, to get a grasp of what that means. What do you think of when we talk about the sanctity of something? It's not a word that we often use. Uh, basically, it's referring to something that's holy or something that is sacred. And I suppose in a, an overly simple way, you could say sanctity means that something is very special and important. Today, we're going to pause to recognize that human life specifically is set apart by God as something that's really distinct, something that's very special, more than anything else on earth. So join me with that. Would you please to recognize today the sanctity of human life? It means, first of all, that we're talking about a life that is sacred. I am now for the past year a dog owner. I've resisted talking about that from here or saying much about it. His name is Judah. He is a reminder to us that our family is going to rendezvous at the gate in heaven that is named after the tribe of Judah. And along with that, his purpose in life is to bring happiness to my wife and to my children and to their children. He does a pretty good job of that. Who couldn't be helped by that, right? So he's been a good addition to our home, but we also understand as we appreciate and invest time and relationship into Judah, that Judah is a dog. And he does things that occasionally remind us of that. He doesn't get people status because he's a dog. His life isn't sacred like my life and yours. Jesus made some very simple statements about your worth, about the sacredness of your life. Matthew 12, 12, he said, how much, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? In Luke 12, 7, fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. In uh, Chapter 12, verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And these words of Jesus help to remind us of how we're set apart in creation. When God created mankind, he did something that he didn't do with any other part of creation. You know what that is? Go ahead, respond. What was it that Jesus, or that God did when he created mankind that was unique? He created us in his image. Genesis 1, it's very explicit. It's very careful to use those words that God spoke as he created man in his image. No other part of creation is created in his image. There's no plant or animal that has an eternal soul, that has the free will to choose to be a moral being. And then God, God did something else that makes man unique. He breathed life into him. It was when God breathed life into him that Adam, it says, became a living being. 
God spoke life into everything else, but as someone has said, he reserved his very breath for man. So I want to begin with that foundation this morning. Can we do that? Human life is sacred because we're made in the image of God. Amen? That makes us different than all others. And then God took that different creature that he had made, and he did something that shows, again, how we're different from the rest of creation. He made us stewards of his earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created man. He set us up as stewards of his creation. That means we're supposed to manage this world responsibly, that we're supposed to benefit from it. When Noah was coming off of the ark, God spelled it out even more clearly. Genesis chapter 9, verse 2, he said this to Noah, who is starting the earth over. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. There it is again. There was one part of creation where God didn't give dominion to man. And that's the area of human life. In fact, God makes it clear all across Scripture that human life is a thing that uniquely belongs to him. He is the one who grants it in the first place, and he is making it clear that taking human life is never to be left up to human whim. Crimes that deserve capital punishment are very specific, very real. And yes, that idea of Capital punishment is from the scriptures, and it comes first from this place here in Genesis. From fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. But the whole concept comes from the fact that human life isn't ours to destroy. Even my own life. Why? Look at it again. Because we bear his image. Human life is a reflection of God himself. <clears throat> Fall of 1988, it was our last year in Bible college. Carrie was also getting her MOM degree as she was finishing her bachelor's degree. She was in a tough pregnancy. And in her first few months of that pregnancy, she had to be rehydrated a couple of times. That's a a euphemistic way of saying they had to hook her up to IVs to get fluids to stay in her. She had morning, noon, and night sickness to an extreme, and for months, both of us were just trying to keep stuff down her for the sake of this little baby that was causing all this trouble. 
And we knew that being parents was going to be work. We were getting a good taste of that ahead of time. But the first order of business was just trying to get that baby here safely. So like a trooper, Carrie kept pressing on, eating because she knew she had to, sometimes deciding what she would eat just based on how it tasted coming back up. Sorry if that's too graphic. But she kept at it. And she made it across the finish line. She got her degree. I sat in Carrie's hospital room where she was admitted at one point a couple times. I was sitting there where she was there for days. And while that baby was demanding attention before she was even born, so was my schoolwork. And I remember sitting there reading from a, a my New Testament ethics class, a book that I was assigned to read, a book by C. Everett Koop, former Surgeon General of the United States under Ronald Reagan. The right to live, the right to die, it's called. It's an argument for the importance of treasuring human life, all human life as special. And in his book, he was detailing about the extensive efforts of pro-abortion advocates and pro-euthanasia and assisted suicide advocates trying to get their views all made into law in the United States. And there I sat in this hospital room reading about it. In other parts of the nation, I thought about this. People were picketing and protesting and lobbying, trying to get this idea, the freedom to end the life of unborn babies, while in a hospital room with my wife, we struggled together to try to make sure that our little baby was going to be okay. How ironic. Well, she was okay. That worked out okay. <clears throat> then she started growing and we taught her to talk and she hasn't quit since. <laughs> she might be listening right now. We love her. Our next two children were not okay. We never got to know them. We never got to hear them giggle. We didn't get to watch them learn how to walk, to speak. And I can tell you that the subject of personhood and the importance of human life, even at the very earliest stages, is something that is very near and dear to our hearts. Every year, Sunday, the, or near Sunday, the, <clears throat> the Sunday that is near, January the 22nd, is used to recognize the sanctity of human life. This year, it's this week or next week that churches are doing that. January the 22nd, 1973 was the day that the Supreme Court issued its decision in a case that became known as Roe versus Wade. You'll hear it referred to as R.V. Wade. And in its wording, that ruling had to do, it said, with women having the freedom to have an abortion without government restriction. And in its application, that ruling was much bigger. And now, 49 years later, we can look at where it has brought us. 62 million babies aborted in the U.S. since 1973. Last year, Mexico became the 10th jurisdiction to enact an assisted dying law for those who are seriously ill. All of it is a human statement of how we're losing sight of the value of human life. 
We recently refinanced our house, and part of the process of refinancing that house involved paying for a third party to come and do what's called an appraisal. The outcome of that appraisal was important to us for a few reasons, because as it turns out, it, it would have some bearing on our financing. And we didn't have any control over it, even though we paid for it. Because they come into your house, they go through a certain process, and when it's all said and done, the numbers at the bottom of the appraisal are the numbers that are put there by the appraisers, period. We had to have it done to do our refinancing. Now I want you to consider with me for just a moment, how would you like it if a third party were to come to your home and conduct an independent appraisal of the value of you? In fact, what if that appraisal was done before you were even born? Or what if that appraisal of your value was done when you were one year old? What if that appraisal was done after you developed nearsightedness or your hearing started to fade or you had to be on cholesterol medicine or a CPAP machine? What if it was done after you hit 70 or 80? What if somebody looked you over and decided what you're worth and gave you a score and you had no say in it? There it is at the bottom line of the appraisal, your score, what you're worth. Anyone have a problem with that? Go ahead and say it. <laughs> Anyone have an issue with looking at another person and then determining that the life of one person has greater value than the life of another now, before you think, oh, that's crazy, no one would ever do that. Understand, that has been going on since Cain considered his own feelings to be more important than the life of his brother Abel, so he murdered him. And it has continued right up to this present day. For instance, August 14th, 1754. <clears throat> Fairfield Connecticut, August 17, 1754. The will of Alexander Rezigu was settled and recorded. Alexander Rezigu was my grandfather eight generations ahead of me. The will <clears throat> included a complete inventory, a complete list of his whole estate. I've got a copy of it. Everything he owned and what it was worth, they went through everything, listed it, what it was worth, 155 line items, valued over 10,000 shillings. And it included things like two Dutch blankets, three shillings, one feather bed, 15 shillings, four silver spoons, 24 shillings, a set of calico curtains and valance, 12 shillings, a large mare, 90 shillings, six acres near Ridgefield Line above Seymour's Barn, 60 shillings, 
And in the middle of these 155 lines, in the middle of all of these things being listed, there is this line. A Negro wench and child. 350 shillings. That's the value that someone determined of that mother and her child in the inventory. In Virginia, on... Green Hill Plantation, there is a stand made of stones. It's an actual auction block where people who were created in the image of God were stood in front of other people who bid on them and placed a value on them and sold them for a price. Now, Those are more of an extreme example of people judging the value of one person over another. I doubt anybody here this morning would have to add owning a slave to the list of things that you wished you hadn't done in life. But have you ever considered somebody who was nearby to be more important than somebody who lives overseas and speaks a different language? Have you ever given more thought to a person because of his or her level of intelligence or looks or social circle? In fact, save me the effort here. You think of it. Age, race, popularity, culture, worldview. What are the reasons that we tend to think that one person is more valuable than another? I want to take the rest of the time this morning just to remind us from God's word, not just about the sanctity of human life, but the sanctity of all human life. All human life is sacred, amen? That's pretty inclusive, isn't it, all? So that means every person of every age. We just emerged from the Christmas season. We just filled our minds with the fact that God became human in the person of Jesus Christ. Mary was told she would be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph was told, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That child's going to be called the Son of God. His name will be called Jesus. And so before he was born, Jesus was one of those tiny clusters of cells that we call an embryo. When? Please tell me, when did Jesus become a person? Because according to the angel, he was already the son of God well before he was born. His age had no bearing on his identity. He was Jesus, the son of God, in the womb of a human being. Jesus, by the way, isn't the only one that the scriptures speak of as a person before he's born. David in Psalm 139 says this to God, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Isaiah 49 says this, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Jeremiah, God said to him, Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Paul says in Galatians, when he who had set me apart before I was born, 
He's talking about himself in God's eyes, unborn. I think that one of the ways that we as the the body of Christ can show our appreciation for the sanctity of all human life is to value children of all ages. Isn't that a positive thing that we can do? Value children of all ages. Jesus taught us to do this. Remember, people were bringing their children to Jesus, wanting him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. And his disciples were rebuking them for it. But Jesus said in Matthew 19, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So one of the positive things we can do is love children of all ages. But you know what? This idea goes all the way the other direction too. And it speaks about people who are in the autumn of life. Being valued just as well. That means that we also should consider the sanctity of people of every degree of what humans would call usefulness. If, if humanity were a beehive, I suppose it would make sense to cast off those who are defective or those who grow old and no longer contribute as much to the collective. But we're not a beehive. And remember that the sanctity of life is about something other than a person's so-called usefulness. Why is it that human life is sacred? Because we are created in God's image. Your value as a person isn't based on what you can do. Just think about it. It would remove a lot of tension and arguing in our current culture if everyone would understand the difference between a person's value or his or her role in life and ability. Because near the end of life, I am noticing, because I'm headed that direction, near the end of life, our abilities fade. And our roles to society become less vital in the eyes of society, but that doesn't make someone any less created in the image of God. And that's where our value comes from. Same thing is true of people in every location. 21 years ago, on a short-term mission trip to southern India, I was impressed by the warm reception of those people that we preached to in these tiny, poor villages. These were people whose culture told them they weren't worth much. They were born into a caste system, a societal system that designated them outcasts from birth. And they all lived in little rural villages. They had, their entire lives had had it drilled into their psyche that they had little value in the world. And then here we are, these people from the United States coming to visit them. That was a big deal to them, that we came to them, that we gave up our time for them, that we wanted to share something with them. It's too easy to get the wrong idea that people who live in other countries are somehow less important than us. Part of the great news of the early church was that God was calling for all people everywhere to come to him. 
People in every location. People who, by the way, are also created in the image of God. So are people in every era. It is a humbling thing to me to consider how people who are far removed from us by time are also just as much valued in God's sight. Book of Hebrews, Hebrews, by the way, does a, a great job of tying together all of time when it repeatedly talks about the way that Jesus died once for all. We're just going to roll a few of those verses from Hebrews here in front of you rather than read every one of them out loud. But each of these are places where the writer of Hebrews says it over and over that what Jesus did, he did once for all. He died once for all. Jesus died on the cross for all of time, and that means that it applied to people in the first century who were reading the book of Hebrews. It means that it applies to you and me, and it even applies to people who died 2,000 years before Jesus was born. At the end of chapter 11, after looking back over the whole Old Testament and what people there in the Old Testament did by faith, it says, and all these, though they were commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. For God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Just think about that for a moment. God shows how much he values the people of all eras of human history, not just the heroes of faith like Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham and those that are listed there, but also us today, when he makes it clear that what is in store for us has not yet been given to all of them because it's going to be given to all of us together. That tells me something. Today, I am thankful for the people of the past who cared enough about the people of the future to pass their faith along to us. You hear where this is going, by the way? You see, these good things are supposed to be going forward, just like they were given to us, just like they came to us if we value the lives of people of every era like we should, then we'll show it by making sure that the faith is passed along from us, won't we? Can I get an amen? That's how it works. Because God values the people of every era. Let me finish with the sanctity of human life in every spiritual condition. And I think for Christians, this should be very easy. Jesus told us to, having gone, make disciples of whom? Every nation. Again, that's very inclusive. And personally, I find it easy to value people who have more in common with me. You know, who are nearly perfect like me. I find it easier to relate to them. I find it easier to care about them. Am I alone in that? Do you find it easier to think of Muslim people or Hindu people or atheist people as a little less valuable than the person who's sitting next to you this morning? 
Do you just long for somebody who's totally off the rails in life to find Central Christian Church and land in our church family? When someone is just new in his faith, is his presence, is that person's presence among us as valued as the person who has known Jesus and grown up with Jesus for decades? Listen to 1 Timothy 4.10, what Paul wrote. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. God is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. What does that even mean? <laughs> well, I'm pretty confident of this. It means that if you're a believer, that God has indeed saved you and will save you on the basis of your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. But it also means this. That God has offered that same salvation not only to you, but to all people. Remember John 3.16? This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. And that includes you this morning. Whoever you are. See, no matter where you are in your walk of faith or your lack of walk with Jesus this morning, your life is still sacred and valuable. God has pronounced you valuable by giving his son to die for you. There is no such thing as an unwanted or an unvalued soul in God's economy. And maybe you're sitting there thinking this morning, maybe online you're sitting there thinking this morning, I've made a mess of my life. I've made such a mess of my life that God gave to me and I've messed it up. You know, if you realize that, then you realize that you need for the Lord to make you new again. And he can. And he will. If you'd give him the place that he deserves in your life and you'd stop running away from his help. Your life is valuable in the eyes of God. He is the one who has pronounced that by giving his son for you. And if you haven't accepted his gift of new life, then this morning we want to ask you to give that serious thought, to stop putting it off, to stop making excuses, or stop turning to other things that aren't going to get that done. All human life is valuable. Because all human beings are created in the image of God. And that includes you. Part of being a follower of Christ means being transformed. It means being changed back over to that image of God that we have walked away from. And that's something that we can't do on our own. So today, if you're outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we want to ask you to give that thought, to give it the place that it deserves in your thinking this day. There is no decision that's more important in your day. The scriptures make really clear how you become a follower of Jesus. 
If you believe he is the Son of God, if you believe his claims are true, if you understand that he died for you, that he gave his life to carry the burden and the cost that you incurred, if you're ready to acknowledge that and give him the place that he deserves in your life, that is Lord of all, then what you need to do is step forward and say, that's it, I'm done with the old life, I repent, and I'm going to follow Jesus. In Scripture, when people reach that point, they ask, well, what do I do? And the answer that's given to them each time is, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. You need to start a new life in Jesus. So today, if you haven't done that yet, yes, we're asking you to do that. We're asking you to come to Jesus. I'm going to ask you, please, to stand with me. And we're going to pray together. This morning, if you're here in person and that's a decision that you're ready to make, I'm going to step down here in just a moment and, and would you come talk to me about that decision, that desire to become a follower of Jesus. If you're online and can join us uh, in person, then we'd love that, but don't let it wait until you come here. Go ahead and get in touch with us online today so that we can begin a conversation with you right now about your relationship to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're able to be here today, either in person or by being here online. We thank you that your word is truth. And Lord, for making it very clear that you've given us a wonderful, precious gift, just human life, to be around those that uh, we have relationship with, Father, even those that we don't know. Thank you for making us that part of your creation that stands out as distinct. And thank you, Father, that we are on uh, even ground when it comes to our value in your sight. Father, we pray today for those who have yet to accept Jesus. Uh, Lord, it's, it's been uh, a long time as we wait for uh, changed life to lift away, for a pandemic to end, for uh, hindrances to be stopped. But all along, Lord, this need has remained and will remain. And there's nothing that would hinder it today. I, I pray that uh, the thoughts that for some reason, uh, somebody shouldn't accept you. Uh, Lord, that those would cease. And we pray that your work would be done now through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.